Father in heaven, we come before you now. We come, I trust, as it were, not physically, but certainly spiritually yielded and kneeling before you as you feed us from your word this morning. Father, I pray that you would take my words, and there may be words of mine that are completely unnecessary and unprofitable, and I pray that you would quickly remove them from our minds. And I pray, Lord, that your words would remain, that your word would speak to us today. As we come to you before your word now and open the word, help us. If we haven't thought about it up to this point, help us to think about it now. Help us to yield to you. Help us to give to you right now. And I pray that we would pray together right now, asking you to have your way in our hearts and minds. And we can do this because of the blood of Jesus Christ. We can pray and ask for your work in our hearts and lives because of Jesus Christ. So it's in his name that we pray this. Amen. You know, people can be easily duped, easily tricked, easily deceived. Some of you may not agree with me. I'll never forget the time that I was so thoroughly deceived. I had been, I had been a deputy sheriff. I had been in law enforcement. You know, I'm thinking, I'm, you know, nobody can trick me. I've seen it all, right? I was in my first pastorate. I was an assistant pastor, and the senior pastor was gone. And this fellow came off the street, <laughs> and he snookered me good. He ended up getting a couple of hundred dollars from our church to help him with an airline ticket to go to and help his wife. You had to be there. I know you're sitting there going, you sucker, you know. (laughs) When I found out a couple of days later what had happened, I was thoroughly embarrassed. (laughs) The Lord taught me a lesson, you know. You know, people can be deceived. People can be fooled. Let me give you this piece of, uh, of information just to kind of illustrate my point from Moody Bible Institute's little study guide, Today in the Word. Um, they, they shared several years ago, Circus Showman P.T. Barnum. You know, the name rings a bell, right? Circus Showman P.T. Barnum once ran an animal museum in lower Manhattan. People enjoyed the exhibit so much they would stay for hours, preventing others from entering. Finally, Barnum devised a way to, get, to, to rid the place of customers. Get rid of customers, yeah. To, to rid the place of customers who overstayed their welcome. Over the cage of a tigress and her cubs, he hung a large sign which read, Tigress. Over a doorway next to the cage, he hung another sign that said, Egress. (laughs) Some of you get it. Thinking they would, thinking they would get a dictionary. Thinking they would see another curiosity, right? That's why I say to my kids, look it up when I don't know the answer. Thinking they'd see another curiosity, they'd go through the door and find themselves on the street. <laughs> and so you got to flush people through the exhibit. And then there's this proof that people can be easily tricked. F.E. Smith was a capable lawyer with a quick wit who served as the, the British Attorney General from 1915 until 1919. 
On one occasion, he cross-examined a young man who was claiming damages for an arm injury caused by the negligence of a bus driver. This fellow was trying to trick the courts. This attorney general challenged him, said, Will you please show us how high you can lift your arm now? Indicate to us how bad the damage is. And he, you know, carefully grimaced and raised his arm about shoulder level. And then he said, Okay, thank you very much. And now, could you show us how high you could lift your arm before the accident? And the man shot his arm. He lost the case. <laughs> he did not trick the court because he was tricked, wasn't he? People can be easily duped. People can be easily tricked and fooled and deceived. You might disagree. But I could challenge that kind of thinking by naming a few cults, right? A few cults to illustrate my point. Even you and I can be deceived. Some of you will remember Jim Jones and the 909 men, women, and children who were found dead on November 18, 1978. The result of what is believed to have been a mass murder-suicide that took place on the cult's property called Jonestown. That's a bad sign, named after the leader, Jim Jones. It was in the country of Guyana. If you could have spoken to some of those people right before they drank cyanide-laced Kool-Aid, Flavor-Aid, If you could have spoken to them, I seriously doubt any of them would have told you they thought they were being deceived, tricked, fooled. There's also the Heaven's Gate cult. Remember that? Not too distant past. This brief excerpt comes from the online encyclopedia, Wikipedia. Listen to their brief description of this. The cult's end coincided with the appearance of Comet Hale-Bopp, In 1997, the cult members were convinced by their leader that their souls could take a ride on a spaceship that they believed was hiding behind the comet carrying Jesus. They believed that the planet Earth was about to be recycled, wiped clean, refurbished, rejuvenated, and that the only chance to survive was to leave it immediately The group was formally against suicide, but they defined suicide to mean to turn against the next level when it is being offered. They were convinced that their human bodies were only vehicles meant to help them on their journey. 38 cult members plus Applewhite, the cult's leader, were found dead in a rented mansion in the upscale San Diego community of Rancho Santa Fe, California, on March 26, 1997. I remember seeing the news media coverage of that and uh, this group's suicide, and some of the video released to the press showed the 39 neatly dressed, lying as if at attention, each in their own bunk, apparently at peace with their decision to take their own lives. Apparently, they didn't think that they were being deceived either. When Paul wrote to the Colossian believers, 
he wasn't warning them necessarily to beware of a cult that might come along and convince you to drink cyanide-laced flavor aid. He wasn't telling them to beware of a cult that might come along and tell you to wait for a spaceship that's coming behind Hale Bop to pick you up. But he was warning them to give very careful attention to something very critical in the life of a believer, very critical to the life of the church and the life of followers of Christ, and that is this. Be very careful that you pay attention to your doctrine. Be very careful that you pay attention to the truths of God's word. He was warning them to give very careful attention to their doctrine because if they didn't, the common beliefs of the day could for them mean a different kind of death, spiritual death, which is worse than physical death. You see, cults, often this is where they go wrong. They forget doctrine. They forget what God's word says. Many cults don't have anything to do with God's word. They don't begin that way. But many cults do begin with the Bible. And even as Heaven's Gate cult said they were thinking Jesus was coming, they used the name of Jesus, but that was about where it stopped. There was no doctrine based on God's word. I want you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 2 this morning, would you please? Colossians chapter 2, I want to look at verses 8 through 10 this morning as we continue our study through this wonderful book of Colossians. As we come to Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, we find that Paul exhorted the Colossian believers to resist and not be held captive by false teaching. Don't be taken prisoner by false doctrine. He also gives them a charge that the only proper defense from being taken captive by false teaching is to do this, to be captive to Christ. That's your defense. We're going to talk about that this morning. Number one, do not be taken captive by false teaching. Look at verse 8, Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Paul says to the Colossian believers, resist, resist, see to it that no one takes you captive, resist. Now here's where some of our translations differ. I know that some of you Enjoy the King James Version, some of you the New King James, and this is where some of our translations differ. Some carry the NIV. The New King James says, see to it that no one cheats you, right? The King James says, see to it that no one spoil you. But I would just tell you here that the meaning that we get from the oldest available manuscripts is what we see that... We find it in the English Standard Version. Also in the NIV, if you have an NIV, you see the same idea. The idea is this. Don't allow yourself to be taken captive. Don't allow yourself to be dragged off and held against your will by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world and that which is not according to Christ. Don't be taken captive by what? 
There are four terms here. I just read them to you. There are four terms here in verse 8 that indicate the characteristics of the false teaching that they were to be on guard against. These are for you too. These are for me. We need these. In our day, like no other, we still need to be, we need to have a heightened sense of being on guard against false doctrine. The first is philosophy. You see it? Philosophy. And I want to make note here that he's specifically talking about false philosophy, okay? Because philosophy, well, let me give you a dictionary definition. Philosophy defined is literally the love of wisdom. Now, is there anything wrong with the love of wisdom? Not if it's true. Absolutely, right? Anything wrong with the wisdom here and being enthralled with saturating your heart, soul, and mind with this wisdom, the pursuit of wisdom, the love of wisdom? It's absolutely, Sid's right. Not if it's true. There's nothing wrong with that. He's talking about false philosophy. Philosophy defined literally the love of wisdom. There's nothing wrong with wisdom. It's, it's false wisdom that's so dangerous. The Colossian believers were facing they were certainly facing false wisdom. I was thinking about false wisdom this week and, and the kinds of things that, that are, you know, in, in our day. False wisdom is the kind of thing that Yogi Berra, you know, was well, was well known for. You ever hear some of his yogi-isms? Um, one time he said, it gets late early out there. <laughs> yep, it gets late early out there. You have to think about that, don't you? He also was known for saying, you should, you should always go to other people's funerals, otherwise they'll never come to yours. <laughs> and you go, yeah, yeah, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. You know, false wisdom is also the thing that you see in the midst of a political debate. We've got those kind of around us right now, don't we, coming up in our near future. You see it in the midst of a political de- debate when the candidate is asked a question, and he doesn't have a clue how to answer it, but... He takes five minutes to answer the question anyway, right? And you get done and you go, what did he say? That's false wisdom. Now, in Colossae, they were talking a lot of philosophical hogwash. But it wasn't readily apparent to those who were listening. F.F. Bruce describes their teaching as a blend of the highest elements of natural religion known to Judaism and paganism. They took the highest things, the things that sounded the best, and kind of mixed them together. It's kind of an algamation. Algamate, is that the word? Algamation, right? Algamated these things into a, into a mix, and they, and they gave these to the people, and people were like, well, that sounds pretty good. You know? Sounds pretty true. Okay, if you say so. You know, it really wasn't offensive. It wasn't like things that were offensive to people's common decency. But their philosophy was still false wisdom. It was false philosophy. It was untrue. It was the kind of thing that Paul warned Timothy about in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20, where he says, Oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Guard the truth. Guard the deposit entrusted to you, O Timothy. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. And that's what they had. That's what the Colossae, the, the Colossae believers had to deal with. They were dealing with false knowledge. 
false wisdom, false philosophy. Similarly, the second characteristic, much like the first of the false teaching, is is what Paul called empty deceit. Empty deceit. Likewise, Paul warns in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. You see, these are arguments about things that really don't make any difference at all. They're the kinds of things that are empty words. There's a third characteristic of false teaching. It's what Paul called human tradition. Ooh, there's a biggie. Human tradition. Human tradition was the challenge the scribes and Pharisees lobbed at Jesus when they said in Matthew 15.2, and this is a great illustration of this human tradition problem, the Pharisees said to Jesus and challenged him, Matthew 15.2, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Now, I know all you mothers out there, and and I'm a father who believes in washing your hands before you come to the table and eat. One day this week, I looked down to the table, down the table to see one of my children. There's something about little boys. They love to dig in the dirt. We can't get grass to grow in our yard. We've got too many bicycles and feet and dirt diggers, you know. And um, I told my wife, when the kids are all grown up and gone, we'll get some topsoil and plant grass. But until then, we enjoy the children, right? We insist because of not a not a biblical tradition, but because of a, a human decency tradition around our house, you come to the table with washed hands. I looked down at the other table. I said, "My word, what are you doing at the table with hands that look like this, Jackie? They were they were like this." I was like, "What are you doing? Don't touch anything. Get out of here. Go wash your hands." It's like, Ugh, you know, that's just a common decency thing, right? The Pharisees were making it a religious practice. We practice that human tradition. We know that that's a human tradition. The scribes and the Pharisees were being ritualistic, not only their hands, but their cups and their bowls and their plates ritualistically washing and washing and rewashing. Now, we we just practice that out of human tradition so that we don't gross each other out at the supper table, right? We wash our plates because, my word, I wouldn't want to eat off that dirty plate, right? But that's the danger that we face of getting caught up in human tradition. Those Pharisees, they were, at this, they were you know, paying attention to all these human traditions. But Jesus kind of got in their face and challenged them and said, wait a minute, you got all these traditions that you do, but you ignore the laws of God. You see, that's the danger that we face of getting caught up in human tradition as part of a religious practice. It's okay to have human tradition as long as you don't attach it to religious practice and say, well, this is equal to being godly. You know, we soon forget about God's commands when we do that, don't we? We soon begin to start practicing and demanding of others that they too practice human tradition to the neglect of their own souls. Don't don't misunderstand me here. I believe that you need to have some convictions that you live by some standards of practice for your own life and for your family. And parents, let me challenge you that you ought to have some standards of practice for your family, for your teenagers, for your young people. But they ought to be based on God's word. They have to be based on God's word. 
for them to be true wisdom. One commentator notes that true Christian philosophy takes captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Philosophy is the love of wisdom, but if one loves wisdom that is not Christ, the sum of all wisdom, he loves an empty idol. Such a one will be always learning, but never able to acknowledge the truth. That's right out of Scripture. Beware of human tradition mixed with religious practice. The fourth characteristic of false teaching is what Paul calls the elemental spirits or elementary principles of this world. And most commentators agree that he's speaking here of the evil spirits that promote this false teaching. That's just what 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 4 speaks of. Listen to it. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, that's Satan, okay? The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You see, that's why the believer in Jesus Christ must put on and take advantage of the full armor of God. You know, some people, I'm afraid that some believers go through their spiritual lives and go, eh, you know, I'm not too big on the Satan thing. I don't believe he's, you know, active and I, don't, I just don't like to think about him. Well, don't think about him. But God's word says, arm yourself. Guard your heart. Guard your mind. Equip yourself. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 and 12 says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And let me inject this right here between verses 11 and 12, because sometimes believers will say, I took on the devil. I told him to get away from me, okay? I told him to back it off. I told him where to go. You can't do that. Because you're not in charge of Satan. Do you know who is in charge of Satan? Jesus Christ is in charge of Satan. Satan doesn't do anything that Jesus hasn't said, all right, I'm going to take my hands off of this. We see it in Job's life, don't we? You go to Job, you see that happen. You see that. It's a very vivid description of the kind of control that God exercises over Satan. So Satan's not in charge, but he has some liberty. All right? And you don't say, Satan, you know, get thou behind me. What you do is you go to Jesus and you say, Jesus, blind Satan. That's what verse 11 tells us, all right? So just remember, as you deal with sin in your life, you deal with, with difficulties that you're struggling with. When you, when you face difficult barriers in your life where you're struggling with a spiritual need in your life, remember, Satan's active. But you have a more powerful resource. Put on the whole armor of God. It's not your armor, okay? It's God's armor. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. You need God's armor, says verse 12, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. You don't stand in your own strength. You stand in the strength of God's armor. So put on God's armor, okay? Verse 12, I'll continue. Sermon inside of a sermon, okay? (laughs) 
free one for you. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You get the picture? If you don't believe Satan is real, you better, you, you better begin to, because God's word says very clearly that Satan's active. But as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have the most powerful resource in the universe in Jesus Christ to defeat Satan in our lives. So don't let Satan control you, okay? Put on the power of God. Put on the whole armor of God. You see, Christ came, and by his death, and by his burial, and by his glorious resurrection, conquered Satan, conquered death, conquered hell, conquered sin, and defeated it all when he rose from the dead. Amen? That's why we see this later. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Later here, there verse 20, Paul says, Wait a minute, remember that when you gave your lives to Christ, you died to sin. You died to Satan controlling you. You gave your life to a higher power, Jesus Christ. Why then are you allowing yourself to be defeated by these elemental spirits, by these evil forces? Don't let it happen. You see, Paul emphasizes in verse 8 and in verse 20 that this false wisdom and empty deceit and the human traditions and the elemental spirits of this world have nothing to do with Christ. You see, that's another defining factor about these things that we should not be controlled by and taken captive by. They don't have anything to do with Christ. And that's the remedy, that they be according to Christ, the things in our lives be according to Christ. See, that's the one all-encompassing description of what Paul is telling them to guard themselves against. Those things are, in verse 8, those things are not according to Christ. And that is the remedy that Paul points to, the ultimate protection from false teaching. I want to point you to the ultimate remedy for false teaching, the ultimate protection, the ultimate armor and shield to protect you from false teaching. Verse 8, Paul gives the charge, don't be taken captive by false teaching. But in verses 9 and 10, he explains that their ultimate guard against false teaching is this. Number two, do be captive to Christ. All right? Do not be captivated by false teaching. Don't be dragged off and hauled off and held against your will by false teaching. But do be captive to Christ. What do I mean? I think being captive to Christ is living a life that is fully devoted to Christ. Now that's an ongoing struggle. I'll admit that. I'll agree with you in that, okay? Because I know you're thinking, oh, my life fully devoted to Christ. I'm serious. Look at verses 9 and 10 with me. Colossians 2, and Paul says, For in him, Jesus Christ, in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him 
who is the head of all rule and authority. People, the safeguard against false teaching is being captive to Christ. Now that kind of, that seems counterintuitive. You're saying, well, wait a minute, I don't want to be held captive by false teaching, but I don't want to be held captive by something else either. It's either one or the other. All right? It's either be captivated by false teaching or be captivated by Christ. You can't ride that fence. You see, the safeguard against false teaching is being captive to Christ. And there's this wonderful freedom that comes in being captive to Christ. Amen? Are there believers that agree with that? You see, it's enjoying the fullness of Christ as He intended us to. That's true freedom. And in these two verses, Paul gives the why and the how. Why be captivated by Christ? And how to be captivated by Christ? Why be captive to Christ? Why not just do the God thing on Sundays? Why not just give God just a little bit of my life and I can just rule the rest myself? Why not just get some of Jesus? Why can't I just have some of him? No, I don't need all of Jesus. I just need a little bit to help me from time to time. He doesn't need my whole week, does he? I was, um, I'm aggravated sometimes by bumper stickers. Sometimes they're rude and crude. Other times they're religious. <laughs> I have to ask before I go any further, does anybody have a bumper sticker that says, try Jesus? Have you seen that? I understand the message behind that. Don't let, I, I don't mean to belittle the message. I understand that what people are saying when they say, try Jesus, give Jesus your life. I think is what they mean. But as a minister, when I go to the scriptures, I don't see any, anywhere in there that says, try Jesus. Give Jesus, you know, just to give him a try. Because there's no try in Jesus. You either get him or you don't. You either put him into your life and allow him to come into your life and stay there and to rule and reign and be Lord and Savior, or you don't have any of him, okay? So the scriptures teach you can't try Jesus. So that just kind of irritates me a little bit. I walked in the store real quick yesterday morning, came out, walked past the truck, like, oh, try Jesus, all right. Don't just try Jesus, okay? You have to. You come, you come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you have to realize that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. You can't save yourself. I ask you this question. If you were, and you've heard this before maybe, if you were to die today, where would you spend the rest of eternity? Would it be with Christ? Would it be with the Lord? If not, you need to realize, I can't get there on my own. I can't do it in my own strength and power. I've got to confess something, and that's this, that you're a sinner. See, some people have trouble with that. I'm a pretty good person. I wouldn't say, hey, I'm a sinner. Sure, a little white lie here and there. You know, take stuff home from the office every once in a while, but they got too much anyway. Right? I mean, we justify things and say, sinner? Nah, I'm not a sinner. But God's Word says different, doesn't it? And so you've got to confess that you're a sinner in need of a Savior and then trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's not trying Jesus, folks. That's giving Him your life. So, here's why we should be captive to Christ. And here's why He should get more than just a little part of our week on Sundays. Verse 9 again, look at it. Here's my argument. Verse 9, For in Him the full, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. 
Jesus isn't simply kind of God. All right? It says in verse 9 that he is, in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. He is what? God. He is God. He isn't just an image or a likeness of God. He is God. Now, how could we go anywhere else than to Christ? As a follower of Christ myself, I think this is just common sense. Why would you go anywhere else than to the source of life, the source of wisdom? In Colossians chapter 3, verse 3, we find this. Those who believe in Jesus Christ are his. You're no longer your own. It says elsewhere in Scripture, but Colossians 3, 3 says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. We are his. When you yield to Christ and you confess that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, and you know you can do that right here this morning, right where you're sitting, you can pray that and say, Lord, I confess that I'm a sinner, and I believe in Jesus Christ to save me from my sins. When you do that, you become dead to sin. Does that mean you never sin again? No, it doesn't mean you never sin, but now your life is His. And He sends His Holy Spirit to indwell you. So you have Jesus alive in you to help you not to be a sinner. Not to be the sinner that you were. You see, we become dead to sin and alive to Christ. Alive to live for Christ. So I say, why not live fully for Christ? Why not give your whole life to Christ? Why not be captive to Christ? See, that's the only way to guard our hearts and our minds from deceitful, false wisdom that comes at us from every direction. Am I right? Every direction. In the workplace, in the home, with a great big one-eyed monster in your living room, right? You turn the television on, you go, oh, man, that's, no, that's not true. That's not right. That's, I hope you do that. That's not true. That's not right. I'm not watching that, you know. Bang. But sometimes you sit and you go, this looks all right. You start listening and you hear some worldly stuff, some worldly wisdom that's not Jesus Christ. It's not founded on God's word. And you go, wait a minute. That's not right. You see, there's this challenge, this this assault against our hearts and our minds because, remember, there's Satan who is active in this world trying to assault believers and help and make them forget the love of Christ and the truth of God's word. But we're his. And being captive to Christ is the only way to guard our hearts and minds from that deceitful, false wisdom that surrounds us in the world in which we live. And if that weren't enough reason to be captive to Christ, then verse 10 gives us more reason. Look at it again. And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. You see, Christ not only keeps those who believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they are also filled in him. Kent Hughes describes the fullness of Christ in in us this way, in those who follow Christ, he says, this truth is great in itself. It ought to steal us against being taken captive by deceitful, empty philosophies. But there is something else which is utterly breathtaking. Christ 
full of deity fills us. And you've been given fullness in Christ, verse 10. Christ can hold all the fullness of deity. We cannot, but we are full of his fullness. He says, my wife and I once stood on the shore of the vast Pacific Ocean, two finite dots alongside a seemingly infinite expanse. As we stood there, we reflected that if I were to take a pint jar and allow the ocean to rush into it, in an instant my jar would be filled with the fullness of the Pacific. But I could never put the fullness of the Pacific Ocean into my jar. Thinking of Christ, we realize that because he is infinite, he can hold all the fullness of deity. And whenever one of us finite creatures dips the tiny vessel of our life into his, we instantly become full of his fullness. Isn't that special? Isn't that something to rejoice about? Isn't that something to pursue? You see, that's the answer to why be captive to Christ. Because only then are you full of his fullness. And he is full of deity. But how? How can we be captive to Christ? And how can our full devotion to Christ guard us against false teaching? Well, the answer to that question, too, is in verse 10. Look at it again with me, where it says, And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Now, how do we know that Christ is the only way to guard against false teaching? Because he is the head of all rule and authority. He is the beginning and ending of all truth. He is the beginning and ending of all true wisdom. Jesus Christ is fully God. The fullness of God is in Jesus. Not some mystic teaching. And Jesus is in you if you have trusted in Jesus. You see, that's something to take great joy in, isn't it? That's something to rejoice in. I can't get over that the Holy Spirit indwells me. When I stop to think about it, it overwhelms me. The Holy Spirit, the fullness of God dwelling in Christ, dwelling in me. Me. I don't deserve that. And do you mind me saying you don't either? You know? Jesus is in you if you have trusted in Jesus Christ. The power of God is at work in your soul if you have believed and trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's something to take great joy in. You can't attain the fullness of God at at work in you uh, of your own power. You can't do it. You can't achieve that. But the fullness of God in Christ at work in you is yours if you are His. So if you're Christ's, the fullness of God is at work in you. Amen? So how do we live as captives to Christ? Kent Hughes continues, from the perspective of our humanity, the capacity of our containers is of great importance. Our souls are elastic, so to speak, and there are no limits to possible capacity. We can always open to hold up, hold more and more of his fullness. The walls can always stretch further. The roof can always rise higher. The floor always hold more. The more we receive of his fullness, the more we can receive. That's a beautiful truth, isn't it? You see, 
We need to ask ourselves and take spiritual inventory, don't we? Which I would recommend doing frequently. Is your life captive to Christ? You mind me asking? Is your life captive to Christ? Or are you just giving Him just a little bit of it? Are you only letting Him have a part of your life? Are you kind of playing, playing religion? Maybe what we need is a spiritual checkup. I want to read to you Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 through 27. I'm going to share with you another quote. But he, the scriptures say, Proverbs 4, verses 20 through 27, My son, here's a spiritual checkup for you. Be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my saying. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are the life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your hearts with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Dave Brannon writes, Given a choice, I'd probably not voluntarily visit my doctor for a physical exam. (laughs) I'm inclined to assume that everything is okay and not bother my doctor about it, but since my wife is a nurse, I don't have a choice. I go in for regular exams. And given a choice, many of us are a little afraid of spiritual checkups as well. After all, if we check our spirit too closely, we might have to change a habit or two. We might need something like an attitudectomy. I suggest that we get, our, uh, get over our reluctance. I agree. He says, I suggest we get over our, our reluctance. With God's guidance, let's undergo a spiritual checkup using Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 through 27, which I just read to you as a checklist. Check your ears. Verse 20. Are we hearing God's word clearly and with understanding? Are we doing what those words tell us? Check your ears. Check your eyes. Verses 21 and 25. Are we keeping our eyes on the teachings that will guide us toward righteousness? There's there's a guard against the, the mistruths that float about. The false doctrine. Keep your eyes on the truth. Saturate your heart, soul, and mind with the truth. Are we keeping our eyes on the teachings that will guide us toward righteousness? Check your heart. Verse 23, are we protecting our heart from evil? Are you protecting your heart, soul, and mind from wickedness? There's a lot we allow into our lives, isn't there, that we have more control over than we take advantage of. Check your eyes. Check your heart. Check your tongue. Verse 24, is our mouth clean and pure? What comes out of my mouth? What comes out of your mouth? Are those things clean and pure? Check your feet. Verse 26, are we walking straight toward God's truth without wavering? See, that's, that's critical. Check your feet. Check where you're walking. Check where your spiritual life is going. Is your life captive to Christ? I hope that's your desire today.
I pray that that's your desire. Will you pray with me this morning? Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, as we have gathered here in your midst, and believers indwelt by the Holy Spirit working in us right now, I pray the words from your word and pray and ask you to help us, Lord, to be attentive to your words. Father, help us to incline our ears to your sayings. Lord, please don't let them escape from our sight. Keep them. Help us to keep them within our heart. You keep them within our hearts and minds because we know that they're they're life to those who find them and healing for all our flesh. Father, we pray, help us to keep our hearts with vigilance because from our hearts flow the springs of life. Father, help us to yield to you as we put away crooked speech and put away devious talk and put away the evil things that we would be tempted to look at. Lord, that our gaze would be straight before you, straight ahead, fixed on Christ. Lord, help us to ponder where where the path leads that our feet are on. And then we'll know that all our ways will be sure. Lord, help us to not swerve to the right or to the left or or to stray in any way into falsehood, into devious things that Satan lays out to trap us and to take us captive. Lord, help us to be captive to Christ. Help us to turn our foot at every turn away from evil. And we can pray this today because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And so I thank you, Lord, for the indwelling presence that you give to those who are your children to those who submit themselves to Christ and believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Lord, help us to make you truly Lord of our lives. You are Lord. Help us to submit to your authority so that we will be captive to Christ and not captive to false teaching. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.